Welcome to Long Takes, a podcast that takes a closer look at controversial topics in film and television. I'm Britt Hayes, Associate Editor at Screen Crush, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm Aaron Whitney, Senior Editor at Screen Crush, coming to you from New York City. And this week, we're joined by Eric Vespi of Ain't It Cool News to discuss the movie Passengers. Hi, how's it going, guys? In the new film Passengers, Chris Pratt is on a space trip, I guess, or a, a colony ship, you might want to call it, on his way to a new homestead planet. But his space nap pod or sleep pod or whatever you want to call it has a malfunction and he's accidentally woken up about 100 years too soon. And after about a year of dicking around on the ship, he decides that he's lonely and needs himself a mate. So after creepily staring at Jennifer Lawrence for a really long time, he decides to open up her pod and then the fun begins. (laughs) I think that's about right, right? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much the first 25 minutes. So, like, the the big spoiler happens pretty early in the movie. Which is weird, because, like, when the film was orig- originally announced, that wasn't hidden. Like, that was part of the premise. It was basically, like, the logline for the film was that, like, you know, Chris Pratt wakes her up from her sleeping pod, and that's, like, and then they have to kind of deal with, like, the ship having issues. Right. And that was... That was it. And it didn't sound so bad that way. And then they changed it, I think, in the most recent trailers. And they sort of kept that as this like secret spoiler and then sold it more as like a space romance. Yeah, like space Titanic. (laughs) But not as not as good. There's no band playing as the ship goes down. (laughs) Well, I guess Um, this is where things start to to begin to feel problematic because it gets worse. But um, I think... Britt and I both have a similar feeling about that point in the plot um, because, I mean, it's the first moment where you realize that this isn't really a likable guy, that he willingly wakes someone up. And it's a big deal because as she calls it later on, Jennifer Lawrence's character calls it murder. She says, you murdered me because essentially they have 90 years left on this ship, meaning they're never going to make it to this colony. And he pretty much takes her life away from her. So he does that, but he doesn't reveal it to her. So it's all kept as this deceitful secret um, that sort of brews underneath their romance. But how did you how did you feel about that, Eric? Was what was your first reaction? Well, honestly, I was surprised. It was a, a twist for me. I guess I didn't read the logline too too closely when the movie was announced. Um, and like, I was fascinated to, to be honest by the 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 moral. Um, complexity of of that choice which you don't really get a lot in uh uh in these giant you know hundred million dollar space blockbusters and uh uh you know i think i'm on a similar wavelength with you guys on how it's resolved because uh, i but you know but like i i thought that the idea of somebody being so lonely that that they you know that they wrestle for months and months and months with either killing themselves or giving themselves you know finding somebody to interact with or you know in his case he falls in love with somebody who's unconscious which is yes super super duper creepy but uh i actually loved that 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 was a question they brought up now how they answer that question is is silly and kind of makes you know it's the the reaction of her we can go into full spoilers now right like we assume that this is two weeks after people have seen it let's do it um (laughs) When when Jennifer Lawrence's character finds out the truth, her reaction to that is absolutely where the movie should have gone. And, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and and but and it's probably where the movie should have stayed. And that's kind of I think where the issue is. I think if you guys uh, would have seen 
her kind of stick to her very justifiable guns without kind of going, well, you know, I guess we're all, you know, here and you are kind of heroic at the end. So, you know, let's make the most <laughs> out of this. You know, if, if it had, you know, if the deceit had actually been more, you know, akin to like something that would happen in, you know, if there was a similar situation, if you could somehow transpose that to a similar situation on, you know, on earth or out of a sci-fi context, she, you know, I don't know in which world she would have forgiven something that 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 creepy. I guess you're supposed to assume that since Chris Pratt is, you know, is, is so handsome and gosh darn likable that, you know, that it's OK. But, uh, you know, I, I never bought I never bought the resolution of it. You know, I could I could see them going for some sort of like on her character coming to an understanding of why he did it. But like accepting it and forgiving it is something I, I didn't quite buy in the movie. Uh, but but like I said, I really like the, you know, I really like the actual moral complexity of making your lead character have that choice. And that's something that I wasn't expecting going into the movie. I think when I first came out of it, my initial reaction was like, you know, this feels like really outdated. There's like a hooky quality to it that and just even the concept, I think like this wouldn't be that bad if it were released in like 1996 or 1994 and you put like Stallone or Keanu Reeves in it and Keanu Reeves was supposed to be in it originally. Would you have Um, liked it more, Britt, had Keanu Reeves been in this? I like everything more if Keanu (laughs) Reeves is in it. I would have forgiven him probably. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) But I mean, like the way that Eric just described it too, I was thinking like, God, you know, the way he's talking about like, oh, he's like having to like, he's so lonely and he's having to wrestle with this like horrible decision for months and months. And it's like, wow, he really sounds like a sociopath. Like it it sounds like we're watching someone decide whether or not to murder someone. And I think that, you know, maybe that was their intention, but the way that they execute the rest of it and the fallout from that incident is like, it's so poor that, it, it, it then it just sort of feels like we're watching a really terrible movie about I don't know it, it, he just feels it feels so sociopathic and we Aaron and I were just looking at photos of Chris Pratt from the movie and like literally every photo of him he looks so creepy <laughs> and I think it is because he's so handsome and so lovable and so likable and he's such a fun guy that when he tries to be serious he just looks like a sociopath yeah he does he's always standing behind her sort of like watching her and she's she's looking elsewhere and it's just just that those images alone just feel a little creepy maybe maybe that's the vibe maybe he was trying to get that across but but there almost seems to be this excuse that because it's chris pratt then it's okay like i I was just looking up um jonathan spates the screenwriter talking about sort of the moral quandary of the issue and um the moral quandary of the movie and in an interview with uprocks he pretty much says like he admits that um, this is like an unlikable character and you want to keep loving him. And the way that they resolve that, he says, is we get a lovable actor to play that part. And I get that, but how far does that go? Like, how far can a character go before we excuse it because he's handsome and charming? And it works because it's Chris Pratt, I guess, because it's it's easier to, to sort of excuse it. But I never really bought that that he was... I don't know that he was going through this moral quandary and suffering the whole the whole castaway sequence in the beginning where he's pretty much in these like raggedy sweat shorts 
and grows this like giant castaway beard. I, I which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was giggling during that scene. I didn't find yeah. that harrowing or or it didn't really capture the gravity of the way that that you talk about it, Eric. Which I, I would love to see a movie that dealt with it in a more serious manner. But it was kind of silly to me. So by the time he actually makes this decision, I just liked him even less. Well, if uh, Chris Pratt wasn't in the role, would there be somebody, you know, if they went more with like a, like a, an older, like a Steve Buscemi or a... I was just thinking about this. Would you, would you think that the movie, like you take everything else out of the movie or you take, you leave everything in the movie as it is, except you don't have Chris Pratt in, in that role. And you have like somebody older that maybe is a little bit more creepy or, or schlubby or something. Do you think that the tone would work better that way? Do you think this is square, like squarely on, on the miscasting the, the Chris Pratt character? Or do you think that it's just, you know, an underbaked idea, you I mean, know, I, on the whole? I think the casting, a different casting, if it was Steve Buscemi, the creepiness would come across obviously way easier. <laughs> but my issue isn't with the casting. I mean, it's just with the script. And they use oh, yeah. the casting to cover up the problems with the script. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think to them, Chris Pratt was like an ironclad choice because they were like, no one could hate Chris Pratt. Who's the most likable actor who nobody could possibly hate? Who's like the Beyonce of male actors? <laughs> Chris Pratt. And I don't know. I think they're just sort of like underestimating the in- integrity or maybe the-, the intellect of their audience. It's like, yeah, Chris Pratt's likable, but you put him in this really crappy movie with this really crappy tone. And maybe it's because he's so lovable and maybe it's because he's so goofy that it's just like... It's hard to take anything in the film seriously, but it's also, I just think that's like, those are directing choices too. Those are a lot of scripting choices that are bad. I think if you put someone like, like if you put someone more appropriate in that role, like a Dane DeHaan or a Shia LaBeouf, like, or James Franco even, like that would be a completely different movie and maybe more appropriate to how creepy his behavior is. Like when he's standing, like watching or looking at her while she's sleeping in her pod and he's like clutching the manual and like worrying. And it's just like, he's deciding whether or not to rape her. Yeah. It's yeah. so bad. Yeah. I know that she says that, that she, you know, that he murdered her, you know, that that's her reaction to finding out the the truth. But I think you guys are a little bit closer to, to what it feels it does it feels more like more like a rape because there's the deception in there there's the 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 fact that he doesn't just flat out tell her you know that he just needed some companionship when he woke her up and and you know and and he's you know he's he stalks her i mean there's no other real way to you know he you know he essentially does the the future ship version of facebook stalking her you know for for a year and then you know, and then, you know, plan intricately plans, a you know, an interaction, you know, it's, uh, you know, my feeling too is a little bit more than like, oh, you just killed her. You know, you just doomed, he stole her dreams. He stole her future more than ending her life. She just, he just gave her a life that she didn't want. She it's didn't definitely change. a violation and it's a very specific sort of violation. There's no consent. And I think that's where the you can draw the line to connect the two between that and rape rather than just like that and murder. And I think it's easier to say murder. And I think for them, it feels less offensive than being honest about what it really is, is a very, very intimate life altering violation. And I say this as someone who's like, I'm not offended by the movie. I'm more insulted by how stupid it is and that it thinks it can get away with this, you know, in 2016, like just not even really giving that sort of storyline the gravity and thoughtfulness that it deserves. 
Um, it should be a horror movie. And I think one of the things that I, I've sort of encountered when talking with friends about it is that they're like, well, how would you have written it? How would you have explored that? And I'm like, well, I didn't write it, but I mean, if I did, I wouldn't have written that in. Like they would have both accidentally woken up or whatever. They would have both had a malfunction or, or you just have one person on a ship by themselves castaway style or something. I mean, like there's so many other ways that you could do that, that don't involve that violation. And if you cannot properly explore something like that, then you just shouldn't do it. Like you just should not ever introduce it. And even if if they kept the, the initial premise and he does violate her and he does wake her up, I still think there are so many clever ways that they could have written Jennifer Lawrence's character so much just more. Oh, she's awful. She's terrible, especially for a Jennifer Lawrence character. Like, this is an actress who's an advocate for women and the industry and feminism, and here she is playing this woman who's just, like, falls in love after some Stockholm Syndrome and totally excuses a guy because he's charming and has a smile. Like, it's just absurd to me. I mean, if anything, a lot of the interviews that I've been reading, some some interviewers will ask John Spates about his choice to, to write this plot and about the moral issues behind it. But all of the questions are about that initial plot point and not about the ending. And I think that's really the most problematic thing that I, I do want to hear from him about, because why did he write this character to excuse what was happened to her and why did she choose to not get back in the pod and why does it end as this like beautiful lovely romance like that to me is what needs to be questioned i think jennifer lawrence really is just like i mean i i have my belief that i think she is what jillian flynn described as the cool girl and gone girl and i think that she is everything that she wants us to be so sometimes i sort of question the face value of like what she is like her being a feminist or her being this or that because i just have a hard time I don't know. It's just like she hasn't done anything truly compelling in a while. So maybe I'm not that surprised that she said yes to this, given the payday and that she gets to hang out with Chris Pratt in space and a robot Michael Sheen. I mean, like, yeah, if I were Jennifer Lawrence, I'd say yes. And I might not think about the ramifications of what I'm doing. Right. Like, how funny um, is her feminism yeah. and her whole persona? Is it funny? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I could believe it. I think that we project a lot of what we want her to be onto her. And I think that she understandably accepts it. What could you do? I just think that there are ways that you can explore that story in smart ways, like Jessica Jones does so in a really brilliant manner, but it also has breathing room to explore uh, how a victim copes with that particular trauma and the gray areas of consent. And it has, like, what, 12, 13 episodes to do that. And the fact that a Marvel TV show of all places is smarter about consent culture and rape culture than passengers is crazy to me. I think you, you hit on why that works, though, because Jessica Jones is from her point of view, and this film yes. is always from Chris Pratt's point of view, um, and Chris Pratt's character's point of view. And he uh, and I think that because it's that way, we never really get to spend any time with Jennifer Lawrence's character coping with what's happened to her. And you know what I mean? So it's like you we don't see her character's transition into you know whatever acceptance she comes to, so it doesn't feel earned. Right. And, and I, I, you know, I think that that's probably, you know, uh, how cool would it have been if you have the first half of the movie from his point of view? And then when the deception uh, is revealed, it switches to her point of view and he mm. becomes the secondary character. You know, I think that would have been a very, oh, wow. yeah. um, you know, a very fascinating, uh, uh, you know, switch in, in a character study. Um, you know, and then you can maybe buy like, I don't know if I would still ever buy the fact, you know, that she goes, OK, well. He's making attempts to, 
you know, to make this right, you know, and, you know, or at the very, you know, how her dealing with her own loneliness, you know, there's, there's one human being left alive, you know, in, in her life for the rest of her life, you know, and it's somebody who's betrayed her, you know, in an unimaginable way, you know, it, that, that's such meaty material that somebody of Jennifer Lawrence's uh, caliber could have had such a great time picking apart, but it's, it's only ever background because once the betrayal happens, it's back to, you know, Chris Pratt being, being lonely and, and, uh, you know, feeling bad about his decision, you know, with her in the background being pissed off, you know, running every once in a while, you know? Oh yeah. No, I think, I think you bring up a really good point. And I think that that would be the way to fix it. I mean, that's how you could fix that movie. If you had to have him wake her up, if that had to be your central conceit, like, tell the other half of the film from her point of view, show her like struggling with this idea of like, well, the ship is falling apart and I'm stuck in space with this jerk. And like her having to just decide to like put that aside to save herself and like deal with having to live with him on board that ship later. Well, and also, you know, having the choice being that, uh, you know, that she legitimately fell in love with him, you know, before this, this question, you know, if that, if that's how they're going with it, you know, like how, how much is undone by the fact that he set it up, you know what I mean? How much of her own feelings are, are, uh, you know, were her own or were manipulated by, by him, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah. that that's so rich. I mean, that, that's such a rich, you know, a, a, a rich starting point for a character that's just never explored. And, and I think, you know, that's exactly why, you know, the ending feels so slight and the character turns make no sense and why, you know, it, it, the whole, it ends up feeling really silly and, and, um, you know, unearned, you know, that the ending does. And, uh, you know, where you can have the exact same problem where they, you know, you have the, the remaining humans on board having to essentially save the rest of the ship because they're the only ones awake, you know, and, and when everything's starting to go to go to hell, you know, you can still have, have that and you, but you have it with a lot more of an interesting, uh, you know, character work going on instead of it, it all being kind of background. You know, I I think that all that's there. It's just not it's not focused on. You know, and there's also the fact that we spend after she finds out and she sort of avoids him. We spend so much time with Chris Pratt's character just sitting at the bar, having the same conversations, and it's just the most uninteresting part of the movie to me. And then later we find out that she was locked in her room for like two days. And yeah. she was by herself. So it's like, what was going on in her mind? Like, what? I want to watch that movie and see what she was struggling with. But meanwhile, we're like with this dude who's just getting drunk with a robot. Like that, that to me pissed me off because there's, there's so much potential there, especially because she's a writer and we only get maybe one or two instances of her, I guess, whatever. She's like talking to an iPad, writing an article or something. But and her voice in those moments is so badly written and there's oh, just there's awful. just no intelligence given to this character, but the fact that, I mean, we get we get more time with this mechanic, but not someone, and not that a mechanic can't be you know, intelligent and eloquent and have complex thoughts, but like why doesn't this woman who's actually been traumatized get a chance to like write and her story about that? Yeah, yeah, shouldn't yeah. she be writing the article about that? Rather yeah, than... like I think it's so crazy. There's that line where she's just, he's like, oh, how's the book coming? And she's like. Well, I don't know what it is just yet. And I'm like, oh, my God, get me out of this movie. I mean, like, there are movies, I think, that explore these themes that this movie wants to ignore. I think that there are movies that do that better and, like, a broad range of them, too. Like, you could take something like the Alien movies or just even the first Alien, which was 
I think the smartest thing Ridley Scott ever did was put Sigourney Weaver in that role because then it becomes this like psychosexual sci-fi horror narrative. I mean, like it really adds that like idea of like being penetrated and violated and like this like drooling oozing thing that like, I mean, there, there are really some deep psychosexual aspects to alien or you could take something like Sicario last year, which explores the idea of like those gray areas of consent and sort of takes rape as an abstract concept Mm. and a psychological concept and applies that to like this narrative of like dealing with the cartel in Mexico, which is crazy. But Emily Blunt's character entirely is dealing with the traumatic ramifications of that sort of, of assault. And I think that that's really smart. I mean, there I've seen rom-coms, teen rom-coms deal with some of the stuff that Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence have going on in this movie so much better. Like how many times have we seen like, a guy in a movie like basically stalks a girl to find out all the stuff that she likes and then pretends to like all those things and then they have this big fight and then like she decides that you know despite all of that she loves him anyway like despite his deception despite like you know that he like whatever and it's like i've seen so many teen movies like that that were way better yeah this just follows that formula and it feels like that this movie to me feels like it's just hitting all of those beats it it feels like branded content and not like a creatively written story it's like, okay, we have like this really charming actor and this really lovable actress and we'll put them in this perfectly formulaic romance and we'll put it in space because people like space and CGI and that's yes. passengers. <laughs> now just like throw in a character actor as a robot <laughs> yeah. uh, and then have like these really random like like sort of cameos, <laughs> which is like, which should appeal to like a hipster guy, like throwing Andy Garcia in there is just like, who does that appeal to? Like, he doesn't even get a line too. Green time? What? <laughs> well, I guess the thought is that since we don't see very many faces in the movie, that they would just throw in faces that you recognize. I don't know. I kind of like that touch. That's like, oh, look, there's. I, I don't know who that guy is. He doesn't say one one line. He doesn't have one line. <laughs> you know, he just kind of pops up at the end and goes, oh, wow, look, my ship's different. You know? <laughs> God. Like, how easy was that work day for Andy Garcia? Like, you just show up, put on this outfit. You walk in, you look confused as hell. That's it. Makes me wonder if they shot other stuff with him, like, you know, him, Chris Pratt finding, you know, his, like, logs or something, you know, his hollow logs. Or you know, <laughs> It makes me wonder if there, if there was more to that. Because, yeah, you don't really cast that guy unless he just happened to be, like, best buds with, with the director or something. It's just like, yeah, I'll throw you in the movie somewhere, you know, and it's it's like a Bruce Campbell, you know, style cameo. But I don't think that's that's the that's the case in this one. No, I don't, I don't know what the case is with this movie. Like, I've been trying to figure it out. And it's like, I don't know why anyone really agreed to this other than like Aaron was saying, like, it just feels like branded content. And we're like, I just I was describing it before it came out. Like, it feels like it was made with like an algorithm, like the two most popular and loved people in a movie in space. Like, sure, that makes sense. People will go see this. Have either of you read the script? I, no. I, um, I wonder if, if it's much different because, you know, remember, this is one of the blacklists. It was not only a blacklist script. It was like one of the like most famous blacklist scripts. It was the it was the one that people who hadn't heard of the blacklist had even heard of people talking about this. Like I've, I know people, producers and stuff in the industry that have been seeing the scripts phrases since what, like 2008? Yeah, it's been around, I think 2007 or six. It's been around like nine years. It's, Jesus. 
yeah so it's it's been it's been in the works as like one of the best unmade hollywood movies and it's had that buzz around it since a year before chris pratt and and uh, jennifer lawrence were you know known by anybody you know and it's uh you know so it makes me wonder like if if the final film is any different or if these problems were always there and it was just you know it, it was just it just read better on the page or you know it, it you know i i don't know like i'm, I'm curious that I, I actually do now kind of want to go back and look at look at the script and see what what's different or if these problems were always there you know or if it was completely execution dependent you know well, i don't know i haven't read the script but i've been reading a couple interviews with john spates and he's pretty much said that like the bare bones of the story hasn't changed since he first pitched it because apparently he approached um i think it was i think he approached keanu initially because he was initially going to be in it right yeah and I think he, he says in one interview, which is, uh, what am I looking at? This is with Slash Film. Um, he says pretty much the spine of Passengers is what he pitched in one conversation like 10 years ago. And it, th- that hasn't changed. But over the years, I think he said there's about 30 or 40 different versions of the script. But it sounds like the initial choice of a guy alone in space wakes up a girl has been there this whole time. But I wonder how much the ending has changed, you know, if, if that has shifted at all. I mean, I hope... Yeah, I hope it has, because if this just stayed the same for 10 years and no one thought it was an issue, then that makes me worried. There was that thing in Vulture that you sent me a couple oh. days ago, Eric. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, should, I should do a dramatic reading I, I just these. pulled it up. Um, so Vulture did a piece about the script problems with passengers, which I haven't read all of it yet, but they do have two bits of dialogue from the original script that were changed, and they're pretty bad. They're so bad. Uh, one is <laughs> one is Jennifer Lawrence's character, Aurora. Aurora, by the way, like Sleeping Beauty. Uh-huh. She is named like Sleeping Beauty, which is the most, I don't even know. That's like the least of my eye roll problems at that movie. But like. <laughs> on the nose. Just a little. So she says, nobody strands me on a spaceship for a hundred years. I work for the New Yorker. I'll write an expose so hot you'll need oven mitts to read it. <laughs> That's bad. That's from the original script, the Blacklist beloved script. (laughs) The other is, uh, I boarded the Excelsior on assignment, maybe the most ambitious writing assignment ever given, but things have taken an unexpected turn. I'm not writing for the New Yorker anymore. I'm writing for me. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) It sounds like a fake movie. Like that does not sound like a real movie. That's like, nobody talks like this. Nobody. That's why I kept thinking like, this feels like something that I would have, I would have found like a VHS tape of or watched on like HBO in like 1994 and it would have like, like instead of Lawrence Fishburne, that would have been like Wesley Snipes. Like that's the movie that I felt like I was watching. And I think that's why like, I can't, I I don't feel that offended by it. Just like insulted. Like, I don't think that what it's doing is offensive. I don't think it's like offensive to people. I think it's offensive to its characters. I think it's insulting. I think it's just, it's just so stupid that it exists. Like I don't, it's worthless mostly i think though it feels like nice get like the nice guy the movie it's just like here's here's a nice guy he's lonely like there i think that there are probably like a whole bunch of dudes who lurk on reddit and like mra reddit things or whatever you want to call them subreddits that are going to like watch this movie and identify with it so hard and use it to like justify their creepy behavior towards the women in their life where it's like, but I was, 
but I'm right here in front of you. I've been here the whole time and I love you and I do everything for you. And I know you better than you know yourself because I've been online stalking you for years. And why would you just give me a chance? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it is. And I think that that hits its peak when Chris Pratt's like, whenever there's the scene wherever like they have to like open that door to release the fireball. And he's like, I'll hold the door open for you and sacrifice myself. Ugh. He literally holds the door open for her. <laughs> but, he is... did, but he did call her milady, so that, that was... <laughs> <laughs> like, why isn't he, like, wearing a space fedora? It's the worst. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's funny. I'm, I'm here at the counterpoint, but I think... As the counterpoint, <laughs> but I think that we're all pretty much in agreement, you know. Uh, with, with the You know, I, I think that I maybe like the... Uh, the, the red meat offered up by the moral conundrum of the story, you know, on on its face value, maybe just a tad more than you guys do, you know. But I think that it's, it, but you know, the the problem with it is, you know, it's one of the most frustrating things about movies is you have, you know, really good. Yeah, I, I don't I don't get pissed off about bad movies as I do about movies with miss that miss their their mark. You know that, that there's a lot of missed opportunity and. You know, I, I, you take everything in this movie and all the pieces that are at play, you know, and you just tweak something or you shift a focus or you, you know, or you somehow find a way to earn, you know, the earn the, uh, you know, the premise a, a little bit more and, and it clicks and it works. And this one just doesn't click and work You're like, but I, I still do, you know, I, I'm fascinated by and, and kind of love that, you know, that they would that that initial moral problem is brought up and it's you know and it's the start of this giant movie the problem is that it's just not followed up on you know and that uh so i, I don't know i think i'm, I'm talking in circles now because i'm saying <laughs> but that's the uh you know th- that's something that you know i'll always when i like i'm scrolling through netflix and i see the, the this poster i'll go man it's like yeah i like ha- ha- what a fascinating premise just completely ignored you know that that's just going to be my thought yeah speaking of missed opportunities i mean it feels to me sort of the way I felt when I was watching like 50 shades of gray, which is a terrible book. I didn't read all three of them. I read the first one for research for this <laughs> job that I have for some reason. And um, I mean, it's just such a terrible insulting book that just completely misses the point of a, a dominant submissive sexual relationship and turns it into something that's very toxic and harmful. And it's sort of like glorifying those aspects of it. And, you know, consent is not even a word that, that E.L. James needs. Like, I don't even think she knows that word. (laughs) Um, And so the, the movie I think is a, is a huge improvement. I mean, the book is so poorly written on top of everything else. It's a nightmare to read, but I mean, the, the book, I think the movie is a really huge improvement. I think casting Dakota Johnson was a really good idea. I think casting Jamie Dornan was a very bad idea. I can see why they did it. Because if you've watched The Fall, then you're like, oh, yes, we need a handsome sociopath and he will do. But I think the biggest missed opportunity is like in that third act when it just kind of falls apart. She's just like, do your worst to me. And he like hits her with a paddle. And then she's like, that's it. I'm done. And just like storms out. And then it just like ends. And you're like, wait, what? And then when you find out that E.L. James like demanded that ending, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Because the rest of this movie felt kind of smart and like it was like aware of what it was and what it needed to like explore and these like ideas. And this is like completely just does not have, like has no interest in 
anything approximating like ideas of consent or relationships on even the most basic level. Like it's like watching aliens. I don't know what that is. And so I think that's kind of like the feeling I get watching passengers is like, wow, this is like a really missed opportunity that just like kind of wants to play in the sandbox without like thinking about, you know, what that means. And that movie similarly also just doesn't explore her perspective in any sense about her her reaction to him pursuing her or how she feels about the lack of consent how she feels about S&M relationships in general. I don't even think she understands them. I mean, the movie, I don't think, understands them at all. But it's the same thing of this charming, handsome guy who just, like, sweeps her off her feet because he's handsome. And that's just... The rest of his behavior is excused because of his good looks and because he's pursuing her, and that's enough. I mean, to, like, the movie's credit, I will say, like, Dakota Johnson, at least, like, she's so charming in it. And the way that she reacts to, like, a lot of the things that he's doing is, I think, a very, like, realistic reaction to this absurd situation. Like, her reading this contract, like, are you kidding me? Like, what? Uh, (laughs) Or, like, him sort of just, like, showing up all the time. She's like, wait, are you, like, stalking me? (laughs) Like, it's very, I think at least the script tries to fix some of those problems. I don't know that it's completely effective. And, And either way, the ending completely undoes everything that came before it. I think hiring the guy who directed fear to do the sequel is probably the most appropriate idea. I don't know. I mean, like maybe he should have directed passengers and you could get like Mark Wahlberg antagonizing Jennifer Lawrence in space. (laughs) I would watch that fear in space. (laughs) Be great. Did either of you have anything else you wanted to touch on specifically? Not really. uh, Other than, you know, I I just kind of keep coming back to the fact that it feels like that passengers is, stuck somewhere between two different movies it's it's on the one hand you have the gravity-esque you know in space and thriller drama you know big budget and you know spectacle and on the other end you have what could have been like a more moon style you know sci-fi character drama and, and it's you know if it had picked one foot or the other it probably would have been a better a better experience but it's kind of trying to be both and doesn't, exp- you know, fulfill either, you know, the, 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 the best of its, of what it could be. Um, it's a frustrating movie. It's a movie that, that I, you know, that, that I liked for its ambition, but you know, in at least liked enough not to, you know, just be done with it after first viewing. <laughs> it's uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that we're, after all this talking, I think, you know, the, the, and all of our, our opinions thrown in there, I think we're all, you know, again, kind of on the, the same page. It's just a varying degree of, you know, how we're writing it off or not writing it off. You know what I mean? So it, it's kind of the movie, though. It's like it kind of it spurs you on in that. It's like you keep trying to, you know, explore it, and then you're just kind of hitting dead ends because it's not really, you know, every question that it brings up isn't, you know, isn't really fulfilled in, in a satisfying way. So, Well, I can't wait till 10 years from now when someone remakes it into a horror movie. <laughs> like let's get like an Alex Garland remake of this or something. I think that somebody should just recut the trailer as a horror movie. Like maybe ooh, we can do that ooh, the way yeah. they did to like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> yeah, let's do that before we before we spread this podcast and anyone steals our idea. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh I don't know. I yeah, I don't I don't know that I have much else to say. I think I've vomited out everything I possibly could (laughs) we had we had a lot of questions we hoped to answer and there were a lot that we could not like 
why does this movie exist? I think is is the last note on Aaron's podcast notes here. It says, why does this movie exist? And I don't think we will ever know. Yeah, I don't have a reason, an answer at all. <laughs> or you could say that for almost any movie, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, I, I think that we... I The thing that I got from this conversation was, was kind of the... The, the exciting thing for me was was kind of the realization that it uh you know that if you if you had just done something as simple as shifting point of view you know it, it halfway through then suddenly it's a movie that's exciting for everybody you know what i mean yeah you know i think that 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 was probably the aha moment that spades uh needed to kind of send this one home and uh and we got to armchair quarterback it you know <laughs> yeah. figure it out so all right. Well, Eric, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, I write for a site called Ain't It Cool News, and I'm also all over the social medias uh, on Twitter at Eric Vespi. Aaron, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Cinemabite, B-I-T-E. And you can find me on Twitter at Miss Britt Hayes. Thanks for listening. For more of the latest movie and TV news, head to ScreenCrush.com. Follow us on Twitter at Screen Crush News, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram and Snapchat at the username Screen Crush. Mm-hmm.